0: Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be temperance. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. In this chapter, we find the importance of temperance. Temperance is a term that's very misunderstood in our day and age. We need to take a closer look at what it actually is. Noah Webster defined temperance as a noun meaning moderation, particularly habitual moderation, in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions, restrained or moderate indulgence, as temperance in eating or drinking, temperance in the indulgence of joy or mirth. Temperance in eating or drinking is opposed to gluttony and drunkenness, and in other indulgences to excess. It basically boils down to self-control. No matter what the world may say or think about temperance, We know, as the people of God, that we are commanded in Scripture to be temperate. It's not a choice or an option. It's a command. No matter whether we want to be temperate or not, it doesn't change what the Scriptures say. Since we are called to have self-control, we need to look at how to get it, what it means to have it, and what it looks like on a practical level. Verse 25 told us, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. The word temperate in Greek means to exercise self-control, to be continent. The Concordance goes on to say it means to exercise self-control, literally exercising dominion from within. The second part of this definition, exercising dominion from within, is critical to properly understanding the importance of self-control in the life of the Christian. This Greek word only appears twice in Scripture. The only other occurrence is in 1 Corinthians 7 and 9, referring to those who aren't married yet. It says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. In this verse, it's translated as contain, but it shares the same meaning as we saw earlier. Genesis 1 and 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The Lord also reaffirmed this two verses later in verse 28, which makes it clear to us that it's God's intention, and that he has designed us to have dominion. Psalm 8 and 6 says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All things means all things, including ourselves. We're designed to have dominion over our own lives. When Adam sinned, he transferred his dominion to the enemy. And before we're born again, we do the same thing. We give our dominion to the enemy, either knowingly or unknowingly. When we give our lives to Christ, our dominion is transferred back to us. And we're then called to use it in the way that God intends for it to be used. When we fail to control ourselves, we do what Adam did, and we attempt to cede our dominion back to the enemy. But when we have the Lord within us, we can't give it back to the enemy, because the enemy cannot undo what God has established. We're called to be temperate, both outwardly and inwardly. God has placed our dominion within us, because He is within us, and He holds all dominion. Daniel 7 and 14 tells us, And there was given Him dominion, and glory, and a kingdom. That all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He has freed us from the dominion and bondage of the enemy. Romans 6 and 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. When it comes to dealing with the natural, when we exert our dominion over things outside of ourselves, we need to do so from within ourselves. It's the only way. It's not possible to do anything from outside of ourselves. Our dominion is exercised through our prayers, our commands, and our words. These are all very powerful tools and self-control is required to wield them in the right way. And we know this right way through our discernment, through the word of God, and through the inward leading of the Holy Spirit. It's also necessary that we exercise dominion over ourselves, over our own life. This, too, must come from within us. It's impossible for it to be any other way. It's possible and even common to have self-control in the natural realm only with no counterpart or parallel in the spiritual. This is the type of self-control that we find with many unbelievers and with Christians who haven't cultivated their spiritual self-control. When dealing solely with the natural. The two areas of our life that we need to exert dominion over are our soul and our body. We need to control our mind and our will and our emotions. None of these things should have control of us, especially alone, because if they do, they will destroy us. When it comes to our soul, Paul gives us a great example of exerting self-control from within. He says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalt of itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The same goes for the body. When we allow the body to have full control of our lives with all of its lusts and appetites, it too will destroy us. We likewise need to bring our body into subjection, especially dealing with actions. Paul did this in verses 26 to 27 of chapter nine. He said, I therefore so run, Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. We need to check our thoughts, because thoughts are within, and then they go on to manifest outwardly as words and as actions. If we allow ourselves to manifest unruly words and actions, it indicates that we don't have self-control and that we're not being temperate. We need to exert control over our lives. Proverbs 25 and 28 in the English Standard Version says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If we fail to exert self-control, we do exactly what the enemy wants us to do. When we give in to every lust or passion or appetite that we encounter or act on every thought that we have, or say whatever we feel, without any attempt to control ourselves, we open ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy. This is because we give him ammunition to work with, which in the end, he only uses against us. Many fall into this trap, thinking that not being self-controlled will lead to more freedom. But for an unbeliever, this false freedom that they think that they have doesn't make them free at all. It does the exact opposite. It leads to the enemy oppressing them, then possessing them, and then ultimately controlling them, which is always the enemy's end goal when attacking someone. In the end, this destroys a person's life. Instead of being free to control their own lives, they do what Adam did, and they give the dominion over their lives to Satan. Although as Christians we aren't in danger of the enemy controlling our lives or possessing us, we still may face oppression from the enemy. If we make the conditions right for him by lacking self-control, we need to guard ourselves by being temperate. In verse 26, Paul said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. This reveals another element of our temperance. We must have certainty. We must have our mind made up that we are going to control ourselves. Otherwise, we'll never have the necessary strength and willpower to do so. We're able to have certainty when we know that the Lord has commanded us to be temperate, and when we know that being temperate is in our best interest, because it guards us from excess, from temptation, and from the attacks of the enemy. Ultimately, it protects us from destroying ourselves. Verse 25 told us, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, Self-control is important in the natural, but it's even more crucial in the spiritual. We need to take a closer look at spiritual self-control. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in the 18th verse, it says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We can see from this chapter that temperance is not just a virtue. More importantly, it's a fruit of the Spirit. This reveals a lot to us about self control when dealing with the spiritual realm. Verse 23 says Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. The word for temperance used here, is different from the one that we saw earlier. This word is a cognate of the first, meaning that they share the same root word. It means mastery, self-control, self-mastery, self-restraint, continence. The Concordance goes on further to say that it means dominion, mastery, dominion within, self-control, proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. This definition not only focuses on the role that we are to play, When it comes to self-control, it also shows that God plays a pivotal role in our self-control beyond just commanding us to do so. The Concordance also says, For the believer, self-control, or spirit control, can only be accomplished by the power of the Lord. Accordingly, true mastery from within is explicitly called a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Earlier, we looked at the importance of self-control as it relates to our soul and our body. But we're not only made up of a soul and body. God designed us spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is the most intimate, important part of our being. Temperance as a gift of the Holy Spirit has to do with our spirit. When we were born again, we got back our dominion from the enemy, which enables us to be temperate. But this wasn't the only thing that happened. Christ also came to dwell within our spirit, and we transferred our dominion to him. Now we're even better equipped to be temperate. Understanding that he is right now within us is necessary. The definition said, self-control, proceeding from within oneself, but not by oneself. Our self-control not only comes from us, it comes from the God within us. Even when it feels like we're doing it on our own, we're not. Because our self-control is informed by something. It has a source, and that source is God. God teaches us how to be self-controlled and corrects us when we're not through a few different vehicles. The most common of these are prayer, the Word of God, and the inward leading of the Holy Spirit. The connection that exists between all three of these is that they all have to do with our spirit. When we're praying, we're having a conversation with the God who is within our spirit. When we're reading the Word of God, It goes beyond our mind and our intellect and into our spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is leading us inwardly, He communicates with us through our spirit, speaking to us and prompting us. This is how the Lord does His part when it comes to our self-control. But it won't mean anything if we don't listen to Him and let Him help us. We have to let Him help. Otherwise, we'll never have the self-control that we're looking for. Since we still live in a fallen world, Self-control on the deepest level is impossible for us to have on our own. But since we have the Holy Spirit within us, He will teach and guide and lead us as we live out our faith so that the fruit of temperance manifests in our daily lives. The deepest level of self-control has to come about from the deepest part of our being, which is our spirit. Earlier, we looked at the importance of controlling our soul and body. Now we need to look at the importance of controlling our spirit, because it has even more critical implications. The Concordance said before, for the believer, self-control or spirit control can only be accomplished by the power of the Lord. It's important that we understand, like with all the other fruits of the spirit that we've studied, that God gives it to us as a gift. He births temperance within us, and He helps it to grow as we provide the right environment for it to flourish in. Spirit control is not just referring to the Holy Spirit controlling our lives and exerting dominion over us. It's also referring to us exerting control and dominion over our own spirit. Before we looked at Proverbs 25 and 28 in the ESV, in the King James, it says, He that have no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Our spirit must be protected because of its importance, which is the job of our soul. Our soul is meant to be the intermediary between our body and spirit. One of its main purposes is to filter out things that are harmful and detrimental to us so that they don't reach our spirit. But when we lack self-control and don't follow the leading of the spirit, indulging in excess in any area, we leave the door open for the enemy to attack us. We make ourselves vulnerable, Since we have the Spirit of God dwelling within our spirit, the enemy will never be able to take control of our spirit. Even though he'll never be able to take control, he'll still try to attack it every chance he gets, and our lack of self control paves the way for him to do just that. Temperance is far more than just behavior modification, it's also one of the many ways that God has established to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Spiritual self control is a form of spiritual protection. This means that in order to be truly self-controlled, we need to be aware of how the enemy attacks. We need to understand his playbook. First John 2 and 16 tells us, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the three main avenues for which the devil attacks which make these the three most critical areas in which we need to operate in temperance. Lust of the flesh has to do with sensual things, desiring to gratify the flesh instead of the spirit. This has to do especially with excess of emotion and the failure to bring a person's will into subjection to God's will. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17 tell us, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do that which ye would. Lust of the eyes has to do with what we see and what we allow into our being, either through sight or hearing. This is what leads to materialism, fornication, and adultery, especially if left unchecked. Job avoided this pitfall of the enemy. He refused to give in to the lust of the eyes. Job 31 and 1 tells us, I made a covenant with mine eyes, why then should I think upon a maid? Pride of life is similar to these two. It's focused on self-conceit, gratification, self-satisfaction, arrogance, ego, and pride. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride and arrogance are some of the most dangerous sins that temperance guards against. Proverbs 8 and 13 tells us, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Pride, if left unchecked, can easily lead to idolatry, allowing the self to attempt to take God's place. Psalm 10 and 4 says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts." Once we know and understand these avenues of attack, Our temperance will protect us from these things. We must have certainty. We, like Job, need to have our mind made up that we are not going to give in to the lies of the enemy. We need to use our discernment, use our spiritual sight and hearing, to know what we're allowing in and out of us. We need to guard our words and our actions. We need to know and understand the Word of God, because it shows us what is right and what's wrong. And it shows us what excess looks like, so we know what to avoid. Temperance may not always seem the most attractive thing to us, but we need it. It can only help us. God only commands us to have it because it's in our best interest. When we put forth our best effort to be self-controlled, God will bless our effort and he will empower us through his spirit and protect us from the attacks of the enemy. When we do our part, he will work with us and do those things that we can't do on our own. Let's make the choice today to follow the command of God, and be temperate. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for implanting within us the fruit of temperance. Thank you for putting your Holy Spirit within us to help us and to lead us and to guard us from all the attacks and the lies of the enemy. And we thank you that our temperance will be a form of spiritual protection to protect us against all the attacks and the devices that the devil tries to use against us. Lord, we rebuke the lust of the flesh, we rebuke the lust of the eyes, and we rebuke the pride of life. Remove these things far from us. Lord, we don't want to give in to these things. Lord, give us the strength and the willpower to stand firm in the day that the enemy attacks us, so that we'll come out victorious, because we know that with you we are overcomers and that we're more than conquerors. Lord, we thank you that you are going to continue to help us throughout the entirety of our lives, and that you have always made a way of escape when temptation comes towards us. And Lord, we thank you that our temperance will go on to glorify you. And Lord, let it be an outward sign to those who don't yet know you, that you are a faithful and a great God when they see our self-control. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you want to be temperate and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. If you pray this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate the show, you can contact us at at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.